Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and I am welcomed here by Broderick Chavez, the evil genius, um, who we haven't had on the channel for a while. So this is very exciting, and I know you guys are going to love what we're going to be talking about today, um, and that is relating to kind of blood work and things like that. But uh, how are you doing, Broderick? Sir, I am well, and uh, thanks for having me, and thanks to all your listeners for being interested. Thank you. And you recently had a seminar over in Australia that went down really well, didn't you, Broderick? Um, I, I actually, I'm certainly not uh, trying to correct you, but I had a number of seminars in Australia, oh, yeah. all of which went down really well. But uh, Sydney was the was the big one. I had uh, 120, 130 uh, paid attendees, probably about 150 total in attendance. Um, just a really, really big deal. Um, it was. Uh, of course, you know, my seminar, I was the focus, but it was actually better than that because it was kind of the who's who of fitness in Australia. And so the the the, the intermissions were like a big mixer. It oh, was nice. it was really a, it was really a good time, far better than I could ever have imagined. It was just one of those uh, kind of perfect storms. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a celebrity. I'm whatever. But I personally don't really garner that much weight. It was just a perfect storm of timing and people and they just and it just went crazy and uh it was it was amazing and then separately i did some little i did a, a, another date in uh, brisbane which was also very very well attended like 50 60 people um felt very felt very uh, subsumed after sydney but it was it was actually a really great event and that event by the way was uh, recorded and produced in a professional fashion and is presently for sale by the people who held that event, Flex Success. So there's a literally a five-hour video of my seminars out there. Um, so it, it, it was really a big deal. And then I did a number of <clears throat> underground seminars, which I've, you know, it's, it's my particular stock and trade. Ah. But uh, and, those, and those went down really well. Uh, I believe in some other life I was Australian because <laughs> just really meshed. Like, yeah, we had, we had an awful lot in common. It was good. It was very good. Amazing, so. and actually, I'll um, I have to go and reach out to I think it's uh, Rawdon, um, who ran it partly. So I'll have to reach out to him and get that link, or you'll be able to provide it, and I'll put it in the description box below. So if people are interested, they can go and purchase the videos. Yeah, the the group that's actually vending it is uh, Flex Success. They're a big training group out of uh, Brisbane, cool. and uh, really really good people. And they put a ton of money, ton of effort into preparing the product. It's it's really really nice. Amazing, and I guess. Uh, the future's bright in terms of seminars and things. So I definitely, guys, if you're interested in Broderick kind of coming to your area, your country, keeping an eye out because he may well be on his way. So I know there's some things in the works with you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, I'm presently in negotiations with uh, uh, Singapore, South Africa, and UK. Amazing. So one of the i'm dealing with two or three different groups or they're dealing with me but one of them i'm going to commit to and i will be in the uk probably in the fall probably uh i think at the moment everyone's talking about october-ish mm -hmm. so i would expect one one way or the other i'll be in in uh, the london area in october amazing yeah no i mean i'll do my best to be there i have no reason i wouldn't be so i'm excited for that personally and i know it's gonna be a great day and like you said it's the opportunity to go and meet like-minded people and kind of just 
talk and connect and so much value in that um in the you know i I don't want to sound uh, old and curmudgeon although i I sincerely am uh in the age of the internet people have forgot that you can actually meet people you can actually like walk up and shake their hand and you know actually be in the presence of another person not everything is social media driven so it uh it, it really does have some power and some value i i think it's uh Maybe making a little bit of a comeback, maybe a little bit of a resurgence, the the actual meet and greet kind of thing. Um, I'm definitely in favor of that. I like that. No, I, I mean, I love it. I go to seminars and things all the time. And I think people undervalue them because they've got the podcasts, they've got the webinars and mm-hmm. things, which are great, but it's nothing like meeting people in real life and you can get the selfie Absolutely. with the evil genius. So <laughs> anyway. You know what? I want, I want to tell you a funny story before you even do that because it just because you brought it up. Um, way back in uh, April, I was at the Arnold Classic, Columbus, Ohio, and uh, Mike Isratel and company had a big booth there, you know, $20,000, you know, set up and you know, just all this stuff. And I'm standing there chatting with Mike. And this guy runs right up and he just very patiently waits and he goes, Oh, can I please, sir, can I please have a picture with you? And Mike stands up and he's there. And the guy comes right over to me and took a picture with me. Oh, that was not, not, not only was it the, sincerely one of the funniest things I'd ever been part of, it was the absolutely the first time that anyone had actually asked in that capacity to get a picture with me. So it was, it was a, a very uh, benchmark moment on many levels. Oh, amazing. <laughs> So I, I, I have that one little tiny one up i can i can i can go up with that one nice so. um so yes now we will get into the topic after we've mm-hmm. talked about that but i think that was a good chat anyway um so we're talking about blood work obviously yes. i the listeners might well know that i got my blood work done through a company called medichecks uh and then yep. i provided this to broderick because i wanted to get broderick's kind of expert opinion on this and i guess that's kind of a good introduction to why people might want to listen to you and how you got your education in this kind of field because obviously you're not a doctor by any means but you have a very good eye for blood work and you can help people with this yeah um in in not necessarily the right order, but you know, why you should listen or why you should listen to me. You know, everybody thinks that you should listen to them. But um, my, my, my wealth of experience is I personally have been using performance enhancing drugs since age 16. Not, not mindlessly, not recklessly, but in complete systematic volition. I knew what I was doing. I knew what the to some degree what the consequences were, and I knew what the necessary steps to mitigate those consequences. And because of that, I have had blood work a minimum of two times a year, as many as six for 30 years. So I have been exposed to a staggering volume of blood work just of my own, never mind all the clients that I later took on and you know measured. So I had an understanding of what exercise should do to blood work. And then I had an understanding of what drugs could potentially do to blood work i learned an awful lot from then till now plus an awful lot of other things environmental and things that can impact blood work that have you know added but even initially even at age 16 i had a pretty strong understanding of what exercise should do to blood work had a pretty strong understanding of what drugs should do to blood work and then basically just started cataloging and i found an awful lot of things good bad i found you know, certain drugs certain behaviors that didn't agree with me certain ones that did just from the consistent cataloging of while i was taking this this happened while i was taking this this didn't happen and so on so there's there's that accumulated 
um, you know, experience. Then secondarily, I do have a degree in biology. I do have a minor in chemistry. I have worked in those fields. The concept of, you know, stresses and responses within a creature, a species, a population, et cetera, completely understandable to me. So I have a pretty strong working knowledge. Um, and to some degree, I think people, and I, I won't say me, like I'm the beacon of something, but people like myself, and there are rather a lot of other people like myself that do this sort of thing, I think actually have a superior skill set in terms of validity to athletes than even doctors and nurses because doctors and nurses rightly and appropriately deal with either normal people or even worse, sick people. Mm -hmm. And we're none of those. We're not sick and we're possibly even atypical, not normal. So to some degree, I think there's validity in the idea that you know, the skill set I've developed is superior in this realm to even a higher tier professional within specifically, you know, the, the medical world. So I am not, I'm not trying to put myself on a higher pedestal than a doctor. I'm simply saying in regards to this, I think I would listen to me before my doctor. As a matter of fact, I have quite, quite, quite frankly, and that's, that's actually come up. So, so that's why um, I think that, you know, I, can reasonably speak on the subject. And then secondly, probably what should have been addressed first is I'm amazed at the number of people that just don't consider getting blood work. Uh, I hear things all the time like, well, I don't take drugs. I, why would I need blood work? Yeah. Uh, that to me, that's a, a, an amazing, an amazing statement. That's like saying, oh, I don't drive fast. Why should I check my oil? Well, what the fuck? What? Like, seriously, that, that, that's not like, oh, I'm not, I don't zoom around. I'm not a racer, so I don't check that. You know, like, like you know, I, again, I don't want to be old and curmudgeon, but when I learned to drive, literally part of the driving test was check the oil, walk around, check the tires, you know, make sure the vehicle is safe to drive. Granted, it's overkill. Nobody really does that. But yet, it's a complicated fucking machine. You're driving 50 miles an hour and the wheel falls off. There's big problems. The human body is no different. Just because you don't do anything to intentionally harm your health doesn't mean there can be a problem lurking in there. And the sheer fact that, oh, I'm not a race car driver, I don't zoom around, is the reason why maybe that problem hasn't come to light yet. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not in there. So there's, there's, you know, blood work is basically the ultimate physical. It's the measure of your health on an actual chemical level. So the idea that you don't need blood work to me is just laughable. As a person, just anybody, your mother, your neighbor, your mailman, everybody. Then if you tell me with a straight face, oh, I, I, I'm an athlete, I'm a performance-driven human being, and then you really still don't have numbers, go fuck yourself. Just go away. I'm, I don't even want to talk to you. Like that's, like, that's like telling me you're dieting, but you don't know how many calories you're eating. Like, that is just, you're, you're not really, you're just not. Yeah, just, so that, that's, uh, you know, I, I could probably veered off point there a little bit, but that's, that's roughly how I feel about blood work is it, it's kind of the crux of all of this. No, I, I absolutely love the actual analogy. And I think when you put it out in that way, people would be like, 
Yeah, I never really thought about like like that, and uh, I certainly myself when I mean when I was sixteen, I was just thinking when I was sixteen, I was a clueless like I had no idea <laughs> what I was doing, and you were already like on your way. So that just goes to speak to how much experience you have and how much interest and passion you have in the area. And then yeah, completely, I think a lot of the listeners will now be thinking I should probably get some blood work done. Um, and to make anyone feel better who didn't get any done, like <laughs> I haven't been regularly getting mine, and I sure for sure will now uh, because i do see the value in it and i think this episode is going to give people that kind of understanding and you can testify to this too is in the realm of you know sports performance and what things cost what we pay for gym memberships and you know potentially supplements and you know under armor t-shirts blood works are really not a major expense i mean it is really not if you had whole hog crazy you might spend 500 dollars a year that's I mean, in the big picture, that's not a lot yeah. of money. Yeah, my especially, especially for something that could conceivably one save you you just tragic you know outcome, and two actually improve your performance. Yeah. No, one hundred percent. I know my test. I got one of the more advanced ones. It's one hundred fifty pounds. If you do that twice per year, right. I mean, it's not gonna gonna kill the bank yeah. or anything. So the amount not you spend all, on probably crappy pre-workouts or things like that in that nature you can probably put that towards a blood test will do you much more favor absolutely i personally in my this is how intellectually savvy i am in terms of economics and you know economy but i, I benchmark everything i know what i spend on coffee ah. which is my, my luxury in the world so if it doesn't cost me more than my yearly volume of coffee i consider it fair game that's my <laughs> that's my how that's my measuring stick i'm like well you know, I could, you know, like even like when it comes to like a thing, like, you know, paying a parking meter or whatever, I just, I go, no, that's a cup of coffee. That's, that's completely reasonable. And I just <laughs> pay it. I go on my way. That's, that's how clueless I am when it comes to that. But this, on the other hand, I think I have something to offer. So uh, do you have any special idea on how you want to proceed? The only question I had actually, and this is, this did come up a few times was when okay. um, you get the MediCheck's, I don't know if how it works or if there's services over in the uh, US different, but they actually use a finger prick type of blood um, and then you put it within the container and you send it off and if it's not good enough quality or whatever they will make you redo it um, but a few people asked is this as valid a test as within the lab can you still use this to a high degree of certainty um the the, the answer to that is is actually both yes and no it is absolutely not as effective as serum values that are spun and separated from the blood. So taking a vial blood is always going to be more accurate. It's always going to be more inconvenient and more expensive. So the, the answer is no, they're not directly comparable. However, that m measure of deviation is not large enough to dis disvalue or defunct them. It's just not as precise. Mm -hmm. uh, again, and something I'll actually cover in the actual talking about blood work is once again, just like taking a body weight measurement or a body fat measurement, or even a blood pressure, it's consistency. Yes. Figure out where you're going to deal with, deal with them, follow the protocols the same way every time, roughly perform everything as consistently as you can, and then you're at least comparing apples to apples. Even if they're slightly spotty apples, it's still apples to apples. And that's the key here is I'm not asking everyone to become a biochemist and you know get a degree in, you know, in phlebotomy. That's not at all what we're looking for here. But what we're looking for is some reasonably valid datums that we could track 
this way and that and make better decisions based on them. No, I love that response. The consistency, I think then, I mean, it just, a light bulb went in my head where I was like, okay, no, that makes complete sense. So no, brilliant. And actually, Broderick, if you've got something you want to start with, go for that. And if you don't end up covering something I've got down, then um, I'll ask away. Yeah, well, basically what I have is my blood work. It's it's blood work that I got recently. And uh, just as a, a point, I have a similar service over here. There's there's been like six or eight of them, my labs now, um, internet labs, like some, any basically type in blood work labs, you'll get it. Uh, the way it works with them is basically they, not basically, in fact, they generate a prescription, a, a an invoice for the blood work. You pay them, they pay the lab separately, and then you take it into the local lab, uh, LabCorp or one of the others. LabCorp is the biggest in the U.S. And you just present it to them. They know what tests to do. And the results go to the purveyor and then are emailed to you. Okay. So, And it's typically like a 48-hour turnaround. Prices are very comparable to what you, you, know, what you had mentioned. Um, many of them actually even have uh, now because of the age of um, – you know, rejuvenation and longevity and et cetera. They even have, you know, the, the, you know, the, like, it's like going to a car wash. It's like the super package, the sports package, the, the hormone package, the menopause package. And each of them has, you know, certain validities. And we'll talk about maybe things you would want to make sure you get, but in, in general, I'm just going to go down top to bottom and kind of just highlight what, what things are and how important they are. And in every seminar I've ever did, I'm always disappointed at not being asked this question. So I'm going to start with this is the question people should ask me is what's the first thing you look at when you look at blood work? What is the first thing I go to? And in my mind, the way I do it is I prioritize not dying. Absolutely. Not dying is first, not dying a little later, second, and then performance last, even though I'm the drug guy and I'm the performance guy, Dying really jams up your performance. Okay. <laughs> Being sick kind of jams up your performance. So we need to get those out of the way. And in order of what's most likely to kill me today, that would be the very first thing you would get in almost part of almost every blood panel. And that's something that would be titled CBC or possibly CBC with differential. CBC stands for complete blood count exactly what it sounds like it's going to tell you everything that's in your blood in terms of solids and liquids red blood cell count rbc uh i think that one's actually the pretty much universally around the globe as far as what it should be and what you're looking for there is a value south of 50 uh as you get above 50 blood is beginning to get thicker and you have a higher tendency for clumping clotting blood-based problems. Uh, every, every blood work has a, uh, a range. I think the range in the U.S. is, like I said, I think it runs to 50. I think you might actually, you're, you're probably using, um, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what measurement the U.K. uses, so I apologize for that. But again, what you need to do is just simply look at the reference range mm-hmm. and every single tick you're outside of the reference range, above the reference range, that's potentially danger. And then same thing with hemoglobin. Hemoglobin in the U.S., you typically want a hemoglobin about 17, 16 or 17. Below 17, you're threatening at least athletic-based anemia. Above 17, you're getting into very thick bloods. Now, 
Okay, that's the health side of it. I'll jump slightly and address some performance here. You might be saying, well, I, I don't take testosterone, so my red blood cell count won't, you know, won't be escalated. You're absolutely right. However, exercise and even momentary health has influence on your red blood cell count. Mm -hmm. So you can compare what that is reference range-wise and even better compare it to what it's been historically. If you know that you're typically when you're grooving and things are good, you got blood work and your hemoglobin was 17, and then you look at it now and it's 18 or 15 or 16, you can make an assumption. If it's high, you can assume that something's different and you've got hormone levels that are driving your blood, blood volume, or if it's low, you can assume that that's probably you're not keeping pace with the level of activity. You're actually making a deeper inroad into your ability to oxygenate and transport oxygen. Uh, for instance, um, Tour de France athletes. Again, I know they're not bodybuilders. I know whatever. But that is the number one thing a Tour de France athlete would right. monitor is because as soon as those numbers dip, so does performance. And in the same time, though they want them as high as possible, the minute they get up into the 50s, you have risk of, of, of death, right. of blood clotting. Uh, there is there was a Spanish guy, a famous Tour de France guy from Spain, who was actually in the, in the 80s referred to as Mr. 60, because he literally consistently drove a hematocrit to 60, wow. which is to me is stupefying, because I, I personally have had a hematocrit of 55, and I literally felt like I was underwater. It was wow. it was so hard. My yeah, it was it was horrible. But my my point is is that is the very first thing I would look at. It's both the most proximal to your health. You know, even if you had liver stresses, even if you had kidney problems, you won't die today. You get a blood clot, you literally could die before you get to the car. Yeah. So that is the first thing I would look at, and it's also in tremendously relevant to your overall performance. A low hematocrit hemoglobin suggests that you're probably overtraining. A high hematocrit hemoglobin means you're either potentially doing too much of something or undertraining. And people forget about that. There is such a thing as undertraining, okay. even even to a natural. I, I, I mean to be completely condescending, but there there is even that, especially among the high intensity crowd. You can get to the point where you're training so hard, you're actually not training at all. Right. You know, you know, you, you, yeah, you may be killing it, but three sets a week, that might leave some residual. That might leave some leftovers. So that's where I would begin. Uh, then in with the CBC, there's a an alphabet soup of numbers. There's MVC, M8, MCH, and so I won't go into all of them, but that is geometry of blood cells. Right. Um, things, things like, you know, you, you wouldn't have this, you would know, but things like sickle cell anemia would show up in there, certain cancers, because they change the geometry of blood cells. But in general, it's nice to know that what they are, and most importantly, it's nice to know they're not significantly changing yes. from blood work to blood work. And then again, the, the, the reference range on that sort of stuff is very relevant and sensible. So those that's where I would begin always. Blood, CBC, blood counts, super valuable. The knowledge of what your red red count and hemoglobin is probably is the is the value of the test. Right, right away, that's probably the validity of the test. Um, from there, I'll just turn the page and move to the next thing. Uh, it just so happens on this particular panel, the next thing is uh, thyroid values. Right. Thyroid, T3, T4, and TSH. And I would approach them in the order of TSH first, 
T3 second, T4. And really the one that I think is most relevant is the TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone. Typically that should be around two. If it's above two, regardless of what your thyroid values are, it means your thyroid gland is working very hard to generate those numbers. It's getting a lot of stimulation. If that value is very low, say below two, it means that your thyroid gland is not being stimulated very hard. Again, regardless of what your values are. So I would definitely reference the absolute value. And then most importantly, over time, you would theoretically get blood work at different phases of your training. You should see a different thyroid value while you're overeating as you should when you're under eating because your thyroid gland should be taking steps to moderate the metabolism differently. So again, knowing that that should happen is very valid. So if you're deep in a diet and don't see a suppressed thyroid value or do, that gives you two entirely different bits of information. Okay. If you don't, it means that the diet has not yet closed any feedback loops and really downregulated you. And theoretically you just diet harder. Whereas the other side of the coin is if it's very low, you're in a situation now where of course eating less will cause you to lose weight, but not at the pace you might've previously expected because you're losing pharmacological stimulus. And yes, pharmacological is the right word, even though you're not taking it synthetically. Although again, in my case, I would be, mm-hmm. but all of the same rules apply. If that level's suppressed, I'm going to have to step up yep. my dosing. And if that level is not suppressed, I might have to back away. So I would look at TSH first, then T3, then T4. And with the T3 and T4, I wouldn't so much dwell on the value because the value isn't probably the bigger thing. The two things I would look there is one that the value is commensurate to the TSH. If your TSH is to the moon, if your TSH is seven or eight or 10 and your thyroid is still low, that means your thyroid's trying really hard, but actually not producing. Okay. That's a medical condition. That's a medical condition. And believe me, a hundred, a hundred out of, out of 150 people actually have that condition in at least in the th- athletic terms okay. their thyroid is not performing as well as they think it is I'm, I'm super serious on that um then second thing i would look at is the conversion is ultimately t4 is the uh the the jump off point because your body produces t4 and then you get T3. So again, if T4 is very low, but you have a good T3 value, that's great. If T4 is very high and you have a low T3 value, then that moves the problem from your thyroid down to your liver. Right. And now you've got liver dysfunction is not converting the thyroid properly. And both of those are relevant. Uh, For instance, women, you, you typically have late life, late onset hypothyroidism that's typically because of the thyroid gland now on the other side of the coin alcoholics typically have late onset thyroid dysfunction and that's because of the liver side their thyroid is doing everything great but their liver's so beat up it's not producing the t3 from the t4 and that is actually exactly in my case a lifetime of pharmacology use has degraded my liver's ability to convert and now i'm hypothyroid i I am thyroid dependent and again it's for that reason is my liver is not making the t3 out of the t4 Mm -hmm. 
So again, a lot of information you could pick out here. And yeah. to believe, and, and let me be clear again, I just want to really reinforce this. It doesn't mean you're sick or you're going to die or you know you have no potential for sports. It simply means that it's a parameter you're going to have to modulate just like training volume. I mean, there's that asshole yes. that just do unlimited training volume and recover. And then there's that unfortunate asshole that does two sets and are crushingly sore. It's not the end of the world. It's simply you have to modify your behaviors based on that knowledge. End of story. And I think it's super valuable. Moving on to with the blood work. The next thing is a bun. It's uh, basically the amount of nitrogen being released in your urine. Um, There's a problem, again, where I saw my skill set maybe is – Uh, different and of a higher validity in this realm from a doctor. A doctor sees an elevated bun, they think, you're diabetic. Your kidneys aren't working. You're going to die. That's not the case. You lift weights. You do cardio. You are metabolizing protein at a far higher rate than regular people, and therefore you have greater excretion of urea, nitrogen, et cetera. So what I expect to see with bun and later creatinine, which is the next thing we'll cover, is I expect to see them elevated, probably top of the reference range. Okay. Out of the reference range, I would categorize that based on one, historically, where have you been? And two, what did you do right before the blood work? You know, you go, you know, do squat and deadlift and then run and get blood work. Okay. That number is going to be very high. If it was your day off, you went and then the next day you went and did blood work and it was still out of reference range. I'd say, that's interesting. Let's make sure we come back and look at that. I wouldn't immediately panic because, again, I'm doing this in order of you know relevance to death. You know, yeah, beat up kidneys and an elevated bun is not good, and in the next four or five years, it's going to settle you down. But it's that. It's three or four years. It's not you know yeah. dying in the driveway trying to get to the hospital. So again, it's super valuable information. And even knowing, hey, I have elevated bun or creatinine. Um, it's not again a you know game over. It's simply that now I might have to dial back my training a little bit. I might have to dial back my protein intake a little bit, right. and that could possibly truncate some results. But that's way better than having a genuine bona fide medical condition later. Mm-hmm. It's just just the way it is. Um, I just wanted to. Um pull up one thing that you said that was really really important there was you talked about the consistency of taking it and kind of taking it on a after a rest day or after a training day and uh, i think that's just something the listeners should realize that's going to impact things they should keep that element consistent absolutely and even then it's not going to be wholly consistent because even though it may be a day off or even two days off or something like that your overall training volumes might be different your overall body fat percentage might be different so there's invariably going to be differences in here it's not exactly measuring you know apples to apples every time but it's as close as you can get and weeding out the obvious mistakes i mean i don't know how many times i've seen somebody you know do 10 sets of 10 in a high bar squad go get their blood work and they call me and they're like oh god my cpk is three and i'm like yes it is and yes it should be settle the fuck down you know then the other side of the coin is there's always that one random time where a guy's completely off drugs he's barely training and he gets his blood work and he goes is this bad and i'm like yes yes that's really bad like draw a big circle around that put some arrows at that's bad so it's it is very contextual but again you have no context if you don't take the fucking measurement yeah that's the key take the measurement um moving down we have potassium sodium you know um, those uh, calcium, 
potassium chloride, all of those things completely relevant and also completely obvious. They are exactly what they are. And believe me when I say that unless you have a real medical condition, those are going to be right in reference range. They're not going to be wrong. Even you personally who have a little bit of trouble with sodium potassium regulation, Mm -hmm. you were not out of reference range. You were a little off of what I think was ideal. And we talked about that, but certainly not out of reference range. If they get out of reference range, you're going to know it. You're going to have your regular heartbeat, ridiculous muscle cramps. You're going to have problems that will take you to a doctor long before this podcast, for sure. So know that. Um, Next thing in that is, the next thing on this particular list is uh, liver enzymes. And I actually wrote it down because I can never remember. I've been doing this my entire life. I can never remember. It's um, AST and ALT is what they'll say on your blood. And that stands for um, aspartate amino transferase and respectively uh, alanine amino transferase. And they're basically just two enzymes that your liver generates in response to stresses, things that are stressful on the liver to break down. Now – Again, most naturals are immediately going, well, I don't take drugs. That doesn't mean anything. I'm not taking that edible. I'm not going to have liver problems. That is absolutely wrong. First and foremost, training has an influence on liver enzymes because, again, your liver is the central bank of your body. All the conversions from fat to energy, from carbohydrates to fat, you know, amino acids, the deamination, you know, the the glyconeogenesis, all that stuff's going on in the liver. And the more you make your liver do, the harder you make your liver work, the greater the responses. Add to that the fact that you're eating bunches of food. Potentially, some of those could be stressful. You could even have food allergies. Believe me, they stress the liver. There's environmental stresses. There's no limit to the amount of things that are going to have influence on that. Knowing that is the first step. Most people just write it off like, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't have liver problems. Or I'm not taking steroids. I don't have liver problems. That's fucking wrong. Most of the people, believe me when I say this, this is really important, folks. Most of the people in the world dying with liver problems were not taking steroids. Most of them were not alcoholics. Most of them were unfortunate people who have liver problems. Yeah, It's a real thing. So again, you can have all the outward appearances of health and have a pretty significant problem bubbling under the surface. And it's a very simple, cheap, and easy test to know you don't, and then also to know later that it's not manifesting. Mm -hmm. So super valuable. Um, Now, I will throw out some kind of quasi-drug advice. Um, There's a reference range for your liver enzymes, and both that reference range is roughly uh, at about 60 and below for both of those values. Not exactly, but uh, approximately. Mm -hmm. My attitude as far as what I think is acceptable for sports, and that is any value I see under 100, I write off as – that's the cost of doing business. Right. That's eating a ton of food. That's you know exposing yourself to high stresses in the gym. That's completely acceptable. Anything 150 or below, I say, that's about as high as we want that. Lower would be better, but that's not going to kill you. Right. Anything above 150, I say, you really ought to stop, put your hands in your pockets, and have a think. Okay? Now – Just to give you some relevant context, 
300 is about the number you would be put in the hospital. If your doctor saw 300, he'd say, you know what? We need to check you in, get you, you know, all the blood work in the world, find out what's going on. So when I say 150, that's actually pretty conservative because anything up to 300, like your doctor would send you home at 250, but he would send you home with the note, don't be an asshole. Yeah. Like whatever you're doing, you need to settle, but go, okay, it's, go, it's okay to go home. Anything about 300, he's going to say, you, we, we need to find out why this is happening. So just some perspective there as far as, you know, what is what. But again, an interesting point. I uh, had a guy who was uh, not a Tour de France caliber biker, but he was a, a cyclist that did the crazy road races, you know, 100 miles n- nonsense. And uh, we just as a goof got blood work um, on the ninth day of a 10 day race. So it was right in the mix of things. And I tell you because I know I was the person handling his everything. He was not at momentarily taking drugs. And his blood work was very good previous to the race. At day nine of this 10-day race, from nothing other than the stresses of that race, which again, by definition, was ridiculous overtraining. I, I, I get it. But my point is his liver enzymes were in the high 90s from nothing but that activity. Okay, so I just to give you some idea of how valuable these numbers are. Now, admittedly, they probably fell down within days after that. You know, they, they went away quickly, but I'm just pointing out how proximal and responsive these things can be. So it's very, I'm making it out to be very, very important, but at the same time, I'm saying, but it's probably not going to kill you today, so don't flip out. But again, you, get, you can't even have this discussion until you have data. So get the data. Uh, next thing on my particular list, and this is out of order, this is usually at the end, uh, that is lipids. And again, kind of that, you know, I have a car, it has a dipstick analogy. Why wouldn't you check it? Right. You know the coronary heart disease, atherosclerosis, et cetera. We, we know that's a thing. We know it really kills people. And we also know that there's a measurement for it. Here it is, folks. So your cholesterol should be in reference range. And roughly speaking, I don't want to make it overly childlike, but roughly speaking, the lower your cholesterol is, probably the better your long-term outlook is across the board. And then your LDL-HDL ratio, you, you want the uh, the high density to be as high as possible and the low density to be as low as possible. Um, and again, that high as possible is very dependent on your genetics and then also what you do. For instance, um, I'll give you just out of out of my blood work. My cholesterol is very, very hard to impact. My cholesterol has been about 200 since age 16. It's gone up and down a few percent. It's been 205. It's been 195. Whether I live on bacon or lettuce or, uh, you know, five grams of testosterone or no grams of testosterone, my overall cholesterol does not change much at all. Mm -hmm. However, what does change is that you know, as high as possible number, my HDL can go to literally uh, almost zero. I've wow. had HDLs of, of one, you know, and, and it's one with the little with the little alligator mouth, which is yeah, it probably isn't even fucking one, asshole. So <laughs> and I'm well aware of that. And I'm also well aware of how not good that is. And I try my hardest to mitigate it. And again, in theme with keeping records, following records, tracking records, I have found that a number of compounds are particularly suppressive to that value, and I avoid them 
other than when I absolutely need them for specific outcomes. And so even though I am doing a harm to myself, I'm doing the least possible harm, at least in that vector whenever possible. But again, you couldn't even say that reasonably until you have the blood work and then until you have 10 blood works and you can start to make this sort of call. Okay. So again, super valuable. And again, why would you not check your cholesterol? I mean, personally, I think especially countries like you and Australia and places that have kind of the government driven healthcare, I'm almost of the opinion it should be the law. Like if you have a, you have a birth certificate, you should, fucking get blood work once a year and just it should be yeah i I just i really think it's that important um going down the list we have cholesterol ldl hdl there's like the v and vhdl and all just glance at it know that it's in a reference range and again you don't want it changing rapidly that's the thing you're looking for um next thing on here is the beginnings of the testosterone, the hormonal panel, uh, follicle-stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone. I'm sure all of your listeners are pretty familiar. They're the big, you know, test-boosting realms. Again, the thing you want there is you want them as low as possible in regards to the testosterone level. That means that your testes, your actual production mechanism, is working efficiently. If you have a high stimulating and, and follicle uh, level, it means that there's there's a lot of message to manufacture these hormones and then some sort of downstream problem. So you want those values as low as possible mm-hmm. unless you're doing something specifically to elevate them. Right. If you were taking some nutty test booster that you believed to have validity, I won't get into how unlikely that is, but let's say it was the case and you knew that product X should raise your testosterone that means by definition product x should elevate those two values because that's how you get elevated testosterone so to some degree you could determine the efficacy of a product by its ability to influence those values you see you see how useful measurement is again that's how science would work that's how they would set that up in a science you know they would take a bunch of animals they would measure blood levels they would apply something Wait a given period of time, check blood levels again, and they would theoretically see a change based on the influence of the applied compound. We can do that too. We have that ability. That's the, that's that's a, it's it's like science and everything. It's like oh right here, so I just fucking I get excited. I'm sorry. Uh, the next thing on my list is testosterone. That's kind of a no brainer. Again, you want that to be as high as possible. Um. And more importantly, you want that as consistently as possible. High is great, but not randomly and haphazardly and what have you. I have met a number of very – well, again, I don't want to throw you under the bus, but you're a great example. You have a very good physique. You are a prize-winning bodybuilder, and yet you literally have borderline hypotestosteronism. You have very low testosterone levels, probably not – at least the last blood work, I think maybe not quite treatable, but low. Yeah. Okay. So my point is, is having low testosterone again, doesn't preclude you from success, but having declining testosterone is absolutely indicating that your progress is going to decline. Yeah. So again, monitoring, tracking, predicting based on you know if you're training volumes through the moon to the moon you might see a suppression in that but if your training volume is normal or even you know lower than normal that value better be normal or above normal 
just like the hematocrit, it's going to track to your to your to your total training volume. But again, you can make those assumptions very simple. And you can also start to track, for instance, every time my training volume gets over 150 sets a week, my testosterone declines. That can give you some very relevant parameters. Mm -hmm. And this is the sort of thing that I would definitely track with my clients is what sort of training thresholds, kind of like Mike Isertel and his, you know, his, his land, his training landmarks. Well, I would equate those landmarks more to what are they doing to your blood work? Um, so again, it's interesting because, you know, again, Mike's a really great guy and Mike largely builds his models based on naturals and I largely build my models based on drug use. But at the end of the day, we're actually doing the same things. Yeah. We might have slightly different methodologies to doing it, but we're literally doing the same thing. We're taking this measure of data and that measure of training data, correlating them and then adjusting based on each. Yeah. And that's exactly what Mike would do. That's exactly what you would do. Again, I'm using, you know, blood work and milligrams. He's using sets and reps, but it's exactly the same thing. And it's super important to people realize that drugs do not turn you into some other species. They just turn all the dials up to 12. And that's, you know, it, it literally, you don't get a free ride. You just get a much easier ride. So it's important to know that. I, I think sometimes, I, I mean, I mean to be condescending, but I do think that naturals sometimes forget that. They just, oh, you so know, I, I, hear that, I hear that all the time. Like, well, you know, if I took what he took, I'd be successful too. And I'm like, that's a fucking stretch. Yeah. That's a fucking stretch. I don't know. I don't know if that's true, you know. Um, but anyway, I don't, I don't mean to make that argument um, or start that argument. The next thing on here is uh, the prostate Prostate values, again, pretty obvious. You want them as low as possible. Non-existence, great. You don't want you know, prostate issues. Um, again, behaviors can influence that. And then going back to testosterone values can affect that. Right. So if your testosterone, for reasons, whether you're taking it or you're changing your training volumes and your testosterone goes up, you would almost certainly see a minor elevation also in those values because they're correlated because they're generated by the same basic you know hormone cascade. Uh, so again, you should know that and then you can see the, the requisite changes. Uh, next thing on here is IGF one. That's abnormal. Most blood work does not involve IGF one. Okay. Quite honestly, I don't love IGF one as a blood test under these contexts because it is super, super uh, malleable based on behavior. Okay how much and what you ate the day before the test, how hydrated you are can radically have that. Um, Again, it's not really your target audience, but you'll see a lot of purveyors of, you know, growth hormone saying that, you know, Oh, you know, we, we did a plasma test and it had, you know, this value. And what they're not telling you is a lot of times just your sheer behavior can generate that value. Drug be damned. If you happen to eat a bunch of high high glycemic carbohydrates in a high estrogen environment with no training, you're going to get a very big IGF one response right. regardless. It's not you know that so there's there's a lot to that. And then the same thing can actually happen is you can have pharmaceutical off the shelf best you know growth hormone in the universe, but if you were ketogenic and overtrained with low estrogen and you take it, you'll get almost dick for IGF one. Wow. Absolutely. So it's it's not nearly as simple as that. I realize, again, not your target audience, but I'm pointing out that with, with the validity of this, there's also you know, pretty deep caveats. And it's, again, why you might want to consult somebody like myself that has that kind of experience, because you could make a very big deal out of something and not realize, 
oh, but that's actually what should have happened because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, next thing on here is vitamin D. That's kind of the new craze. I used to actually not really get super wound up about it. Um, you also sometimes in place of vitamin D, it'll say uh, 25 hydroxy. Okay. Yeah. Which is the, yeah. Sometimes they're in- interchangeable. Well, they are interchangeable. It depends on who's doing the blood work. Mine sp- very specifically says vitamin D, and that's usually in nanograms per deciliter. And according to this, I was low this particular time. Uh, the reference range tends to run to 100. Again, for athletes, I find north of 100 to be a really good value. Personally, I actually strive for 200. I never quite make it. I, I typically strive for. And to get that value of 200, literally, I need you know, 10,000, 15,000 IUs of vitamin D a day okay. plus some sun. I, I literally do. Um, yeah, and it's interesting. If you if you track this, you'll find your values go up in the summer yeah. and down in the winter, which is again exactly what should happen yeah. because you're going outside. And uh, again, it's just it's verification that things are working and that nature's doing what it's supposed to do. It's super useful. Um, next thing on here, C-reactive protein, which is again a diabetic slash inflammatory marker. Again, you want that as low as possible. One is usually the ideal number. Lower is better. Um, then we're at a very interesting part, and this is one that you and I focused on a lot, estrogen. Right, yes. Estrogen, estradiol, E2, there's a number of ways it can be worded. Um, and again, people panic when they see a high number. The high or lowness of that number isn't the immediate concern. The thing you want is A, consistency, and two, a good corollary between your testosterone. For instance, if you had High testosterone and high estrogen, no foul. That's that's really not a problem. If you had high testosterone and low estrogen, that's interesting, but not really a foul. Okay. However, if you had low testosterone and high estrogen, that would be a foul. Now you have to wonder why am I underproducing mood hormone but overproducing the downstream hormone? That suggests one, you either have some sort of behavioral issue that's metabolizing or utilizing all of your testosterone inappropriately or, or inappropriate to your task anyway, or you have some sort of production problem. And either of those is, and there's also the potential for that mineral uh, binding globulin issue, but I won't go into that because it's a huge complicated you know subject. But my point is, is knowing the, the comparison of those two values could tell you an awful lot about what's going on under the hood. Mm-hmm. And then seeing that track over time, very, very valuable. And again, even though, quote, as a natural, you probably don't have a, much ability to control it, you have two abilities. One, to know what it is, and two, to eliminate behaviors that fuck it up. Yeah. That's the number one thing that you have, whereas I have the ability to just blatantly manipulate it. I can just yeah. stick some hormones in there and change it. But you're relegated to the scenario where Okay, I can't raise it, but I could do everything in my power not to depress it. And that's, again, you know, anti-catabolism is as valuable as, catab- as, as anabolism. You know, not going backwards is at least not going backwards. It, so super valuable there. And things in the estrogen realm, you can then start to correlate to sex drive. 
even fertility. So it's very, very valuable. And then again, if you're keeping records the way I would coach an athlete to do, you know, and you're keeping track of things like, you know, it's kind of, kind of weird to say out loud, but you know, tracking things like morning erections, which I think is a huge data. And then comparing that over time to your expected estrogen outcomes, you could start to see, the quote sweet spot and it, things of that nature. Yeah, super valuable stuff. Super valuable stuff, folks. Um, yeah. And then also you should see your estrogen value go up when you're fatter and down when you're leaner, regardless of what your testosterone value is, because the enzyme that converts testosterone into estrogen is manufactured in fat tissue, in adipose tissue. So the higher the volume of adipose tissue, the higher the reservoir of that aromatase enzyme yeah. you have. Again, super, super valuable information. And it can also, you know, lead you to conclusions that, you know, things are going the way you think they are under the hood or they're not. So super valuable. That is the extent of what I have on this particular blood work. There are lots of other things. You might have white counts, you know, um, things. And again, we won't go into the specific, you know, there's, uh, uh, I can't even, you know, lymphocytes, monocytes, et cetera. I won't go into them, but knowing white cell, white count is basically your immune response. And again, that's super valuable, especially to the natural crowd. Um, a little less, to uh, drug users, interestingly, because we know the drugs are going to piss off our immune system. Every time you're administering something, we, we just know there's going to be an elevation. Right. And there is. The problem with that is now the, um, the lens is not as focused. And when we happen to eat you know, nuts or whatever that is, in fact, generating a mild allergic response, we're not seeing it because we're already seeing that elevation Whereas a true natural can see pretty, pretty significant spikes in relation to um, problematic foods, yes. problematic behaviors. And again, that you wouldn't believe how valuable that is. Uh, I spent some time working with you know, some of the athletes you know, at the Olympic headquarters and mm. you know, that caliber of athletes. And one of the major things they do once a year is allergy panels because – over time, that small exposure, you know, if you, you know, you have a, a, a problem with, I don't know, it just makes all peanuts and you eat peanuts once a week. That's once a week making an inroad into your immune system that could ultimately right. collectively add up to, you know, a respiratory infection because of your training volume or your, you know, or something or something. And it's just, it's so, I don't want to say easy. It's not easy to weed it out, but it's, it's, it, it is in fact, elucidatable with simple blood work and an understanding that the things you put in your mouth and the behaviors you engage in are going to have effects and then measure them mm -hmm. and make rational decisions based on those measurements. It, no. And that's the, at least the short version of my song and dance. What, what more is on your mind? I, I, I'll talk forever. I love this shit. No, I mean, I, I love it as well. And I, <laughs> now, this is where I live. I think to be honest, because we've, we've been talking for almost an hour um, live on the podcast. Sorry? I think we can probably get a good amount of questions coming from this kind of general summary that we've got here. Um, Cause I have some questions, but I don't want to kind of make this into the longest episode ever. And I think we can actually get some good questions from the audience, from the things you've touched on. And I think you just made some great points. I think it's very much like sleep's becoming very popular now and people are realizing, oh, if I have rubbish sleep, this and this happens. And it's now, well, <laughs> people are going to start getting their blood work and they're like, well, 
I can relate these things like you talked about, like the libido or they get the cramping Absolutely. and they can see they have things they can actually make some efficacious changes. Um, the only Absolutely. question I had that I thought might be nice to kind of finish on is, is there any common things that you see when you do look at people's bud panels that it's like, that's an easy thing that you could just be changing. I know when we had it, you're like, you could just increase your sodium a little bit, eat some beef, things like this. They're quite, that was very easy for me to do. And I think it might be nice yeah, for listeners to hear that. Quite honestly, the, the, the two most immediate and, and, and almost universal is exactly that. Athletes have a strong tendency to underconsume sodium, and because of that, their sodium, potassium, calcium levels are all suppressed. Calcium is the really important one, especially as you age. And interestingly, the way to raise your calcium is not raise your calcium, but to raise your sodium. Then your kidneys do their magic voodoo that they do and actually elevate the retention of potassium and calcium to match. So sodium is largely the mover of that. Admittedly, it takes a little time to tolerate, to, to acclimate, plus additional water. But again, you're kind of foolproof to say, oh, when well, you drink more water, like that's pretty much everybody's you know, school nurse advice, and it's good. Yeah. And the other thing is iron, uh, I, especially among naturals. I don't know why. Actually, I think I do know why, but I won't go into why. Um, and with naturals, I consistently see uh, borderline, uh, you know, iron anemia, and it's it's simple fix. Um, you know, the, the the good fix is testosterone. The bad fix, or the, the lesser good fix, is uh, consume more red meat, potentially, uh, you know, very dark brassicas, you know, vegetables, and. Those are the two easiest and most almost no-brainer. Half the time I prepare that speech before I even open the blood work. Cool. I'm like, yeah, oh, I got to tell this guy. Um, I've, I've been wrong a handful of times. And, and again, that's the beauty of the blood work is it'll, it'll tell you. But those are, those are two pretty straightforward ones is you know, elevated sodium, especially if you see problems in the calcium. Potassium, sodium is the solution, and iron is, is iron, and it's pretty straightforward. That's fantastic, and I think – I mean, you've just highlighted there about, I, I actually spoke to someone who looked over my work and they, and with the calcium, and I spoke about how you, you suggested increasing sodium to erase the calcium. And I would have just said, have more, have more calcium. And so you've kind of just shown your expertise there, which I think is fantastic. And if people are interested in kind of delving into this thing, you've got your blood work done. I definitely would recommend personally going to Broderick, getting a consultation. I know you've, I, have you got availability yep. for that still? I do not, not an enormous amount, but I really try, especially when you and I do something, I try and make sure that I have at least a, a little bit of availability because you're going to say exactly what you just said. And I like to live up to it. So yes, <laughs> uh, anybody, anyone out there who's interested, I will make the time for you. I will. Awesome. And I mean, if you have got questions relating to the things that we've talked about, or if there's anything we haven't covered, um, then definitely put them below and we will hopefully arrange another podcast where we can go over them. I've definitely got a few bits that I'd like to talk about um, with Broderick. But for now, I think we've spoken for a good amount of time. We've got a lot of good information out there. I'm sure you guys have found it super interesting. And I want to say a massive thank you to Broderick for coming on again. Um, and I guess you guys will be very glad to see Broderick again um, and to thank you guys for tuning in.